Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I'm your host, Rob Mobley, and we are back with an episode that hopefully won't leave you stone cold by the end of it. For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain, and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone who has been all over the artistic spectrum over the past few years. Uh, She's an actress, a singer, and can construct one hell of a Kamale Nagani, Kaylin Seckle. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Happy to be here. I hope I pronounced that instrument right, because it is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Thanks. It's uh, Kamale Ngoni. Kamale from- Ngoni. Ngoni, yeah. So I'm from West Africa. Yeah. What made you inspired to do that? I'm super interested in, like, just world cultures, and especially West African culture, because that is where my ancestors came from. Sure. Or at least half of my ancestors <laughs> came from there. It's a culture that was kind of lost, if if not stolen. And it was something, especially, you know, with COVID happening and the time for introspection. I was like, I wanted to look more into my love for the banjo and um, where the banjo came from and like what role my black ancestors had in bringing that to the United States. So that was my thing. <laughs> oh, it's, that's, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful sentiment, like all around, because I'm all about getting back in touch with roots and and truly learning the origins of how everything came to be. You have been pretty busy. You have been on the Lion King tour, the Rafiki tour. You've done something rotten. In a previous episode, when we were talking about the Lion King, I admitted that I have not seen the Lion King as a stage production whatsoever. Oh, wow. So it's it's kind of like a, (laughs) oh, that's a thing. But something rotten I love. I love that show so much. What, What was it like being on the tour of that? Oh man, you know, you know, people always ask people who don't do theater, they always ask like, how do you keep it fresh? Like, how do you do a show for a year and not get bored? And it's like, well, (laughs) it's easy to talk about something rotten in that way, because you're never bored in that show. It's it's hilarious. It's witty. It's like, it's one of those shows that like, if you're a theater, if you're not a theater person, you still love it. It's entertaining. But if you are a theater person, you're like, this show was written for me. (laughs) you know (laughs) oh yeah you're like this is for me because i understand all of these jokes (laughs) oh just yeah every single subtle reference in there you're like i get it i got that one (laughs) (laughs) now you had a post that went pretty viral recently which is what inspired this particular episode Uh, so without further ado tell us kaylin seckle which villain have you chosen you know i i've chosen medusa The hero, with his just request, complies, shows how a veil beneath cold Atlas lies. 
where, with aspiring mountains fenced around, he the two daughters of old Forcus found. Fate had one common eye to both aside. Each saw by turns, and each by turns was blind. But while one strove to lend her sister's sight, he stretched his hand and stole their mutual light, and left both eyeless, both involved in night. Through devious wilds and trackless woods he passed, and at the gorgon seats arrived at last. But as he journeyed, pensive he surveyed, what wasteful havoc dire Medusa made. Here stood still breathing statues men before, there rampant lions seemed in stone to roar. Nor did he, yet affrighted, quit the field, but in the mirror of his polished shield reflected saw Medusa slumbers take, and not one serpent by good chance awake. Then backward in unerring blow he sped, and from her body lopped at once her head. The gore prolific proved, with sudden force sprung Pegasus and winged his airy course. You know, it's funny because a a lot of people don't know that much about Medusa. If you've seen Clash of the Titans, then you're like, oh yeah, that's the lady with the snake hair and she turns people to stone, you know? <laughs> but I I got so interested in a piece of artwork that came out by Luciano Gabardi, an Italian artist, and it was called Medusa with the Head of Perseus. So if we've if you've seen Clash of the Titans, you know how Medusa meets her end. And this piece of artwork was kind of the opposite of her demise. So I guess I should just like go ahead and because some people listening might not know <laughs> anything about Medusa. So historically, Medusa is a Gorgon. And to understand, you know, the, the story of Medusa, I guess we have to go back, you know, back to what a Gorgon was. And I think I think it was Homer who first mentions well, is at least the earliest mention in literature of a gorgon. And it's depicted as having wings and claws and boar's tusks and scaly skin and and sometimes having poisonous snakes as hair. Yeah. And it's 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 this kind of grotesque, otherworldly creature from Greek mythology. So Homer first mentioned one gorgon. I don't believe we have any record of any more Gorgons by name until we get to the Greek poet Hesiod in Cairo. That was around 700 BCE, I believe. And he mentions three Gorgons, and these Gorgons are sisters. And it was Steno, Urali, and Medusa, the famous Medusa. They're three sisters, and they were the daughters of primordial sea gods, Phorcys and Ceto. So that's when we hear about these three Gorgon sisters who are grotesque and disgusting. Now, <laughs> there are so many different versions of who Medusa is. And that's what I think gets confusing. I mean, it's, I'm not an expert, you know, I'm just someone who is very interested by mythology. Oh, certainly. You know, and so for me, it's even still confusing to me after reading so much about it because they're just, you know, I mean, I think Homer's Iliad was around like 1150 BCE. Something like that, yeah. You know, and then we get to the Greek po poet Hesiod, who's seven hundred around 700 BCE. And then we finally get to 
this is a very famous telling of Medusa's story, is um, the Roman poet Ovid. Yes. I believe he wrote that in 8 AC, or AC. I get them all mixed up. Um, <laughs> story AD, of my life. <laughs> you know, whatever you guys, what, who, AD, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those numbers. Right, one of those, yeah. So, and he's a Roman poet. So then to understand these stories, we have to go back into like a cultural understanding, right? So then we've got these hundreds of years of Greek depictions of um, Gorgons and then Medusa. And then you get to 8 AD with um, the Roman poet Ovid. And Ovid is kind of known for not really depicting Greek gods in a positive light. Ovid's version of the story is the one I feel like really picked up steam, especially in, in modern in modern society, because I think it's easier for us to understand his version of the story. So basically, we go back to around 700 BCE, and you've got Hesiod, and he spoke of the three Gorgon sisters. And then when you get to the Roman poet Ovid, he kind of riffs on this story. It's a retelling, if you will, of Medusa. And in that story, Medusa was one of the three Gorgon sisters, and her two sisters, Steno and Urali, they were your typical Gorgons. They were grotesque. They were ugly, if you will. And they were immortal. And Medusa was the only one who was born mortal and beautiful, quite beautiful, actually, to the point where she had a lot of suitors and she was the envy of all. <laughs> and in this story, she becomes a priestess for Athena and was a priestess at Athena's temple. And she caught the eye of Poseidon, god of the sea. This is where it gets kind of crazy. The story mm -hmm. gets crazy because there, there's big debate. First, let me preface this by saying this um, trigger warning. This story does involve non-consensual sex. So if that's a trigger for you, then this would be the time to <laughs> to maybe skip a little bit. Yeah. If you, if you need to forward it a little bit, I'll put a little Great. forward thank, mark in thank there. Thank you. Um, so this is where it gets kind of hazy in the way P in the telling of this story. So Medusa caught the eye of Poseidon and... Poseidon would make advances on this priestess, Medusa. And part of being a priestess in Athena's, in Athena's temple, Athena was the virgin goddess of um, warfare and wisdom. And so part of that was like chastity. You know, you're her priest. You've, you've got to be celibate yourself. You've got to be pure. And so she turned down, according to Ovid's story, she turned down Poseidon's advances. And it got to the point that she turned him down so many times that he he raped her. Now, this is the part of the story that people get upset about. <laughs> and um, because some tellings of the story say that Medusa was seduced by Poseidon. Some say that she was taken unwillingly, such as Ovid's version of the story. And some say that she loved him and that she willingly laid with him and that that is what pissed Athena off. But Ovid, Roman poet Ovid tells the story that she was raped in Athena's temple by Poseidon and that the act desecrated her temple. And here's, here's another reason this gets kind of weird is because then Athena punishes Medusa. Of course, she doesn't, right? <laughs> which, which is strange because, I mean, in, in everything I've heard about it, I mean, Poseidon outranked Athena in the Pantheon. Mm -hmm. I mean, he simply was able to walk in, but of course, Athena can't blame him. Right. 
Right. Athena, like, you know, there's this idea that, like, Athena's in the boys' club. She's a goddess, you know? She's, like, she's, like, up there with them. Oh, she's in the Justice League. She's up there. (laughs) Right? She's up there with them. So it's like, oh, well, I can't really, like, punish this guy. He's my equal. Or... You know, or my superior, really. Yeah. I mean, he is the brother of the the number one god, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> of Zeus, you know? <laughs> so she can't punish him. Medusa gets punished for being taken advantage of. Even if you go with uh, another perspective on this story, that she, she wasn't raped, that she was seduced, it still kind of seems unfair. Yeah, to, uh, only slightly. To, <laughs> Let's to, pick on the mortal yeah, here. Yeah, to punish this woman for that. But she gets punished by Athena, and the punishment is very severe. She turns Medusa into this ugly, <laughs> grotesque, scary Gorgon who the very look in her eyes can turn a man to stone. And that's our little origin story for, for Medusa. And then, of, of course, you get to... You can't have a villain mm-hmm. without a hero, right? And so, yeah. So, of course so the not. hero Perseus comes in. I'm going to make a long story short. He goes on a quest to get Medusa's head. I think the saddest part about Medusa's entire story is not that she lost her beauty. It, it, it's I think it's the isolation. I think it's being damned and pushed out of society. You know, like... She she was forced to be a hermit. She was forced into isolation, you know, like she was forced into solitary confinement for this, uh, well, depending on what you believe or which story you follow, something that was not any fault of her own. Like I said, so uh, Perseus comes in and he goes on a quest to get her head. It's for noble reasons. He's trying to save his mother from an unwanted marriage. So he goes to get the head of Medusa. And I think what is so sinister (laughs) about this whole story is that he gets help from the gods. He gets oh, like yeah. they're like, oh, you're going to get Medusa's head? All right, let's give you some help, right? So here's Hermes, some armor, here's some swords. <laughs> yeah. Anything so Her- you need. Yeah, so Hermes gives him, you know, the the winged shoes so he can travel quickly and far. Um, he gets uh, a sword um, from Zeus. He gets a helmet from Hades, helmet, the helmet of invisibility, if you will. I forget what the helmet's actually called, but it is Hades' helmet that makes him invisible. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so what is the most awful thing is that from Athena, he gets a polished shield. Which, to me... She knew exactly what she was okay, doing, too. Okay, so, you're right. So keep in mind that Athena is the one who cursed this woman, Medusa. And she cursed her with this ugliness and gives the hero this polished shield so that he doesn't have to look her in the eyes. But I think about that and I'm like, God, like a polished shield that she can see her own reflection in is like another layer to the story. Like, look at your ugliness. You know what I mean? Like, look at you. you know? Oh, it's just, yeah, just, just adding right? insult to injury right? at that course, point. Of course, you're supposed to look at it as like, oh, the, the hero needs it so that he can look at her reflection and not look in her eyes. But like, there's this other like added layer of, like she can see her own reflection in this polished shield. It's, it's so gross. <laughs> Well, by this point, she has been so villainized in pop culture. Um, For someone who has had such a tragic and heartbreaking origin story, 
I mean, she's at this point less of a villain and more just well, of yeah. a victim. Well, you know, it's funny because that's what that's what I'm saying. If you if you look at one story, if you look at you look at it from one person's perspective, you know, if you look at it from Perseus's perspective, you're like, oh, this scary snake haired woman has like turned all of these men. I mean, because before Perseus, she was hunted by men all over, which is crazy. The idea that she was sought after by men. And then after this curse, after she was mm-hmm. defiled by a sexual act, she is hunted by men. God, it's just so like poetic, like grossly poetic, you know? And so, and so she's got, oh, I mean, yeah. she's got a garden of statues of, of these stone statues of these men who have tried to k- kill her. And so it is funny when, when you get to Perseus and, and, and you hear this like backstory, you're like, well, geez, like who actually is the villain here? Who is the villain? Because she has been villainized in history and mythology because of the many men who have come to kill her that she has in fact killed. <laughs> the Gorgon look, the hair made of vipers, the, the being able to turn men into stone just by looking at her. I know there's some interpretations that have her being half female, but yeah. with like a serpent tail, like she's able to glide around yeah. in that kind of capacity. What do you think this imagery was trying to impart? Why specifically this visage for Hmm. gorgons um that's a hard one i i think because it does change so much throughout history and in fact you can actually see throughout other cultures actually and even in hindu culture and in chinese culture very similar deities or um creatures or um supernatural creatures that that are very similar Mm -hmm. to gorgons i have read of course this i think a lot of it's speculation because it is such a vast history uh, and and so different you know uh, it it changes so much that um i have read that the look of the gorgon the this idea came from the vision of corpses the bulging eyes is the bulging the tongues that are swollen and hang out of yeah. the mouth and the rotting flesh and and that that a gorgon is the embodiment of death I think as his, as you know humanity and cultures progress you start to see other images you know like the serpent image is is something in Christianity and in countless other religions that are just seen as treacherous evil dangerous and I think that's a another part of it I've also heard and I mean this is really getting into it so I, I won't go too in depth but I've also heard you know, when you're talking about um, locks, locking your hair, I know the mm-hmm. people associate that with Rastafarianism. I think in Indian culture, ancient Indian culture, Indian priests would lock their hair. Even the Vikings were known to have locked their hair. And their hair was also described as being snake-like. And so there's also an aspect of that. Are these myths based on some kind of reality in history are we basing these people with snake-like hair off of these other cultures we deem to be dangerous or enemies of ours and it's it's something i think that's worth looking into anthropologically (laughs) you know yeah it it makes you think like uh anybody that wasn't in their eyes civilized if they were barbarians that's what they would deem as some kind of a creature that shouldn't exist exactly. by natural law. Exactly, or that, that needs to be put down, that needs to be hunted and killed. Huh. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I like to look at mythology and world religions and, and these stories and allegorical stories and look at them as in a way that like they, they came from somewhere. Certainly. You know, they came from somewhere. And it's, it's, it's interesting to look at where they may have come from. It could have just been completely made up, you know, like poisonous snakes are scary as hell. So uh, let's make that her hair. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's fine. That, that, that works. Know, that, that's that's scary, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Gorgon, though, I mean, there's such a history there. Gorgons were often put on objects and on architecture, like gargoyles. Oh, you know? yes. In a way that um, to keep away any evil, to, to ward off evil. And so it's, it's got such a, a rich history of being something that protects you and something that's also um, a predator, something that's a villain, something that's um, scary to you. There was this viral post that you had made where you wrote this amazing take regarding the statue of her that bared the head of Perseus in, in an odd twist of fate. And it stands across the courthouse in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It garnered a lot of attention, uh, both positive and negative. What is it that you found inspirational about this statue and why do you think it has proven to be such a controversial piece of art oh yeah yeah okay let me give you a little bit of a backstory so um in 1554 italian sculptor um benvenuto cellini finished perseus with the head of medusa it's a statue uh gosh i forget where it is in italy but he finished this uh, perseus with the head of medusa and it's a naked perseus standing on top of her body and he's holding her head up high in triumph he's just killed this gorgon fast forward to like the 2000s <laughs> and um italian artist luciano garbati i think he's also argentinian uh, he's italian and argentinian luciano garbati said that he was just he was inspired by that statue by Cellini. And he said he remembers seeing it as a child and thinking, what if the story didn't end like that? <laughs> what if it didn't end like that? And I, and you know, it, I don't think it was until the Roman poet Ovid, you know, in eight AD came out with his version that people st- it started to change the narrative on, Medu- on who Medusa was. And, I, and so I think a lot of people today base their idea of Medusa off of Ovid's poetry. Luciano Garbati finished this work of art in 2008. And it wasn't until the hashtag MeToo movement came along that, this, that his art started to garner so much attention. It, and his is called Medusa with the head of Perseus. And it's a naked Medusa. She's beautiful. She's got a beautiful face, but just the head full of poisonous snakes. And she's holding his head, Perseus's head. She's holding it down by her side. She's not holding it up in triumph. She's holding it down by her side. And I think the reason this was so important, especially to women, and especially during this time, during the, the Me Too movement, was that it was a victim who had vanquished her enemy. It's this this idea that even if, even if you're looking at some of the older versions of Gorgons and that's who Medusa is, these men came looking for her. <laughs> you know, she was in isolation in this cave, just chilling, just like living her life. These men were coming to her 
they were trying to be heroes. They were trying to get her head. They were trying to kill her. She wasn't coming out of her cave, walking around, trying to murder people. So this idea that Medusa is the villain obviously changed with Ovid. But I think it, it it's just, it's continued until today. This idea that this, this woman, or Gorgon, was in this cave and these men came looking for her to cut off her head. I mean, like, she's like, what did I do? You know what I mean? And so it's this idea that this woman is actually the victim. And it's this like hero worship that has made her the villain. A lot of people were really angry about my post. And of course, it was not my intention to make anyone angry. I was just, I'm looking at this piece of art and I'm like, wow, this is powerful. <laughs> this is really mm -hmm. powerful. This man came to hurt her. And so she did what she had to do. She yeah. wasn't holding his head up in triumph. She's holding it down by her side. And even the look on her face, it was beautiful. It's, it's almost this, this kind of this sadness on her face. But then if you look at it at different angles, there's almost, there's this like subtle anger, this rage. And I think that being a victim, that that's something that you go through, whether you're a, a man or a woman or it's, it's something that it's the stages of grief, I think, that any victim goes through. And I think it was beautifully represented in that sculpture. My post really pissed a lot of people off. And I mean, I posted it on my Facebook <laughs> page. And I think a lot, it resonated with a lot of people. And they shared it and their friends shared it. And there, I mean, I think there were over 60,000 comments. Oh, it was, it was massive. I mean, just, I, and I was just like, wow, I, I did not ask for this attention. I really was just like, I'm an artist who loves art and I'm going to like analyze, briefly analyze this. <laughs> and yeah. um, I try not to read things. Every now and then things would just come up and I would see it. And I, I, I got a lot of flack for this. I mean, people hated me. <laughs> Well, it was amazing seeing people come out of the woodwork who were just like, well, actually, that's not how the legend went. And I remember right. commenting on one of those threads being like, listen, art is subjective. Chill. Exactly. Exactly. And, it, and it, you know, there were some people I was just like, wow, um, I've got to say something. So I would, I would comment every now and then and I'd be like, you know, you're allowed to think whatever you want. Like you Certainly. really, you really are like, think whatever you want. Because again, and I, I mean, it, it was so, people had such a visceral reaction to this statue and to what I said about it. And that's what art's supposed to do, you know? So I'm like, great, good, like discuss. But at the same time, like you have to understand that there are many versions. There are many versions of this story of Perseus, of who Medusa was, you know, there, there are so many stories. And um, I mean, in my opinion, it's fiction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's myth. There are people today who still believe in the Greek pantheon. But to my knowledge, it, it wasn't those people who were so angry. <laughs> no, no, it was it was people looking for a fight at that. Point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so many people looking for a fight. But it's it's really, you know, I think w the bottom line is mythology. They're stories, and they were stories to teach lessons. And in terms of Hesiod and Homer, I mean, we're talking about antiquity here. You know, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about patriarchal societies where like they're demonizing women for not being chased you know if it's if it's written by a woman <laughs> well you would know it'd be a little it'd be kind of different but these yeah. were these were written by men in antiquity at that and so it's like we you have to also when when discussing mythology and discussing how these stories have changed over time you also have to discuss what is 
the times. You have to mm-hmm. discuss the history. You have to discuss um, the culture. You have to discuss the religion. You have to discuss all of those things. You have to look at Ovid as a Roman poet in 8 AD. And you've got to think about like what was his relationship to the Greek pantheon of gods? What was his relationship to Greece at that time? And so, you know, we, we tell stories for a reason obviously being actors, you know, we tell stories for a reason and it's the same storytelling is the same. No matter what time you're in, it's to, you're telling a story to change minds, to change hearts, to teach. It's almost inevitable that these stories are going to change over time. Final thoughts. What does Medusa mean to you personally? Medusa to me is kind of a testament to woman's position in society throughout the years and the way that Medusa has changed. Our understanding of Medusa has changed from Hesiod's story to now. It just shows the trajectory of women's rights in a way it's, it's showing how we've progressed as a society, as human beings Mm -hmm. that we can look subjectively now at the story and think, wait a second, like, I, I can't just take this at face value. Like, like, even if, even if there's no backstory by Ovid, you know, and that there's this woman, this Gorgon, who's like minding her business in a cave, and this dude's coming in to like chop off her head, like she has every right to try to defend herself. Absolutely. <laughs> you know oh, yeah, I mean? on the converse side, it's like, that's slightly horrifying that all of a sudden all of these people just want to kill you. Right. Not that, per- like, I don't think Perseus is a villain at all. Sure. I think the He was tr- doing what somebody told him to do. <laughs> and I think the true villains are the gods. Yes. You know, as as they often tend to be, you know, and it it just it just goes to show, you know, that sometimes in these ancient religions or mythologies, we look at things and we're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's just how things are. And we're starting to question those things now because we're like, but that's just because that's how they are doesn't mean that's how it should be like <laughs> oh yeah you like i remember hearing stories about oh yeah no zeus turned into a cow so he could go and lay with this girl and you're and as a kid you're like oh that's funny he turned into a cow and as an adult you're like why exactly why exactly yeah so it's so to me it's just like as i progress as a human as i've gotten older i've started to look at things and be like but wait a second <laughs> and i think that comes with like the liberation of women in general you know like we are not in the confines now of um sexual purity you know sure. and, and, and so it's like it's taking back that i think medusa takes back that power even if she wasn't in fact taken unwillingly by poseidon and she willingly loved him or she willingly laid with him like that's her right mm-hmm. <laughs> did she deserve to be turned into a gorgon no i don't think so no <laughs> So it seems a bit extreme. Even then, it's like, ah, did you have to do that in my temple? Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, so from Perseus's perspective, yeah, yeah, she's she's a villain. From her perspective, all these dudes that she's turned into stone are the villains. From my perspective, I think it might be Athena and Poseidon. Yeah, <laughs> so, 100%. You know, and I've had people argue with me that, like, um, in, in the Medusa with the head of Perseus, they're like, she should have the head of Poseidon or the head of Athena. And it's like... What? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, okay, let's talk <laughs> about that. 
<laughs> but in this sculpture, she had the head of Perseus because he's the one who came in to kill her. <laughs> I mean, it's almost more ironic since they were the two mortals that were pitted against each other by the gods. Right. Rather than her holding an immortal head. Yeah. Oh, uh, and you know, in the end of one of the stories, Perseus, after he's done killing everyone he needs to kill with, with her head, using her head to, to kill people, he, in, in a version, he goes and takes her head to Athena. And Athena puts it on her shield. And so the woman who turned her into this monster even in her death, uses her power. Isn't that crazy? Which, at this point, like, could you not just put her out of her misery in the beginning? You gotta keep using her, man. Like, ugh. It's actually a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Caitlin, I'm so glad you came on this show. Thank you. It's, it's been fun. I'm going to leave a link for the Actors Fund in the description below. Uh, we've promoted them on this show quite a lot, but what would you like to say about them, Caitlin? The Actors Fund is um, actively helping actors who are out of work. And they have been doing that for years, but especially now during COVID when thousands of actors and stagehands and stage managers, you know, like you name it, everyone in the live entertainment industry is out of work right now. The Actors Fund is really, really needed. And um, they're, they're, they're really actively trying to help. And so... Thank you for promoting them on this. Um, I will say that um, there's um, the New Works Virtual Festival. You can find them on Instagram. New Works Virtual Festival is um, starting streaming in December. I just recorded a, a new work with a small cast over, oh, amazing. over Zoom. Yeah, and um, all of the benefits of this goes to the Actors Fund. So it was nice to be able to do a reading of New Works. So it's like, you know, it's really benefiting the actors, of course, it's charity, so we're doing it for nothing. But at the same time, it's like we're helping people get their work out there. We're benefiting the Actors Fund. So check it out. I know times are hard. If you have anything you can spare, please, by all means, donate to them. Thank you again, Kaylin. This was so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you to Ross Lampert for composing the theme song to this podcast. He is a brilliant guy. And if you're in the market for any music production needs, head over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. If you like this show, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast. Uh, give us a review if you like what we're doing. It kind of helps with the algorithm from what I understand. I'm not an internet savvy person in that way, so I'm just going to trust when people say that that's what it takes to get a bigger audience. And drop us a comment on who you would like to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. <laughs>